This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hey, everyone. It's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. Well, before summer is officially over, I wanted to share a delightful conversation I recently had with the one and only Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't know about you all, but I think Michelle is pretty amazing. She's had a remarkable career in film with iconic roles in Scarface, The Witches of Eastwick, The Fabulous Baker Boys, which I really want to rewatch soon, and The Age of Innocence. This past spring, she did an incredible job playing Betty Ford in Showtime's star-studded political drama, The First Lady. What is it you'd like me to do? Your family wants you to go to a rehabilitation center for drug and alcohol addiction. I am not. I am the First Lady. I am not a drug addict, and I am certainly not an alcoholic. More recently, she has stepped out of the Hollywood glare, launching a fragrance brand called Henry Rose. And the backstory of that is really fascinating. We talked about all of it, her career, aging in Hollywood, her new endeavor, and so much more. It's the perfect thing to tide you over until our new season begins on September 29th. And we have got a lot of great conversations in store. But first, here's Michelle. Michelle, you do such a remarkable job portraying Betty Ford in Showtime's The First Lady. What was your reaction when you were approached about this role? It was a very visceral one, and I didn't know much about Betty Ford other than, the fa- other than of course, um, her struggles with drug addiction and alcoholism and, and the fact that she founded the, the Betty Ford Treatment Center. And that and Suzanne Baer was directing, already attached, Viola Davis was playing Michelle Obama and, and also producing. And I felt, wow, that's an amazing team. Um, we hadn't cast Eleanor yet, but I, I figured they were going to get somebody pretty great. And they did with Jillian. Uh, and so I, I did something I never do. And I literally said yes on the phone with Suzanne Baer. And um I am not sure I had even read anything yet. I, I was just so honored, honestly, and felt so privileged to, to have that opportunity. And then, and then once I started to, to dig into her story, her um, and all of the layers of who she was, um, I got really scared. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? And of course, 
you know, the clock was ticking and we, the, you know, not all of the scripts were written. And so we all sort of rolled up our sleeves. And um, for me, it was really important to really be as accurate as we could with her story because it's interesting enough on its own. You don't really have to embellish it. It made me fall in love with Betty Ford all over again. And she was such a remarkable woman. And before we talk about all her qualities, how did you prepare for the role, Michelle? Did you read a lot of books? Did you watch videotape of her? Did you watch her speeches? How did you immerse yourself into her life? Well, I actually have, you know, we recently moved. And so I, all, all of my, with all of my post-its and all my, you know, I mean, it, it's really like a treasure hunt always. And, and every script is different, which takes you um, on a different journey and demands different things of you. And of course I worked with the, with the great, great Tim Monic dialect coach. She's just amazing. And her accent was a little tricky because it was sort of not pure. Um, it was a little Southern and a little Midwestern and, um, and of course, you know, brilliant wigs and amazing makeup and hair people and the costumes and it all just sort of comes together. You have to get over the hurdle though, of you're not going to look exactly like the person. And when I did Ruth Madoff, I, 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 you know, I put so much pressure on myself that I didn't look so much like her and weirdly enough you end up getting kind of close I mean close enough so that you capture their their essence so and then it was really just there's a ton of footage out there interviews that she's she gave speeches that she gave dancing with Tony Orlando I mean it's just crazy um the things that she did um you know she was just kind of a big troublemaker and anyway I loved researching her I fell in love with her as well um, everyone who has seen this says exactly the same thing. They didn't know, they had no idea um, her full story and how impactful she was in the White House and what she did for, you know, women and, and breast cancer screening and, 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 and saved thousands of lives um, and what she did for, you know, lifting the stigma off of addiction and alcoholism and, and allowing people, enabling them to come forward and actually talk about it and, and get the help that they need. And, you know, she was a liberal Republican um, who was uh, pro-choice, uh, who became first lady, who took on a feminist agenda and was really one of the, the, the was one of the first first ladies to really speak out publicly and differ with, with her husband. Um, and sometimes to the detriment of his career, <laughs> um, and you know, her impact and, you know, and they weren't even in a full term, I don't think, I think it was a couple of years. And, um, and then she obviously continued on with her work at the, the Betty Ford center. She was born in Chicago, but raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And while she studied dance with Martha Graham, her dreams of being a professional dancer were never quite realized. In some ways, her destiny was determined by the limitations that were put on women of her era. Did you find that interesting? Because I think with all these first ladies, you almost see the evolution 
of women coming into their own. And in a way, Betty had to straddle the expectations of a traditional wife and mother and the opportunities and the activism that was happening at the same time. Yeah, and and imagine um, having to navigate that under a microscope. And, um, you know, and I think that with the exception of Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, R3, you know, I, I think Betty and Michelle, from what I understand, um, were not that keen, maybe, to go to the White House. Um, and, um, and it's also the thing that Jerry Ford loved. I mean, look, Jerry Ford, first of all, he, he married a divorcee knowing he was going to be running for office. I mean, who does that? Not then. I mean, you were considered a black widow and it was this sort of shroud of shame that you had to carry with you. And, you know, she did that. She actually um, divorced her husband at a very young age. And she, um, yes, she wanted to be a dancer. And then she got her own apartment. And she was really incredibly independent when she met Jerry. And he loved that about her. And then, and he must have seen something in her that felt that she would make a good first lady. Um, Either that or he was just desperately in love with her. I think a little of both, but it was her shortly after she got into the White House, uh, it was within months, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and she saw, um, she saw how impactful she could be in her position. And I think it was that thing, it was like an awakening for her, but she, you know, ruffled a lot of feathers. And I think, um, but ultimately was more popular than, than Jerry was because she just spoke the truth. And that's what people really responded to. She just said it as it is. There's a great scene in the movie where she has put together a press release about her breast cancer diagnosis and potential mastectomy. And the press secretary is so taken aback and says, but this is so personal, Mrs. Ford. And Betty says, yes, it is. And that's why I get to decide how to handle it. It was such a great scene because it showed this steely determination Mm -hmm. that really existed in Betty. I mean, she she was tough and had to stand up to a lot of people. A lot of other women at the time might have might have crumbled and said, okay, mea culpa, I'll do it your way. But she refused. She did. And there were a couple, there was one time where she did. And that was when she was um, fighting for the, the ERA ratification. And, um, and it really was threatening his, his chances of, you know, reelection. Um, and I think she also realized more importantly that the bad press it was getting could ultimately actually hurt the cause and she wasn't really helping. So that was one incident. But, but other than that, you're right. Um, there was something that I really wanted to get into the show, uh, but there was so much to tell about her that we really had to pick and choose. And it was toward the end and it was during Jerry's um, 
re-election campaign and they were traveling and they were on the road and there was a women's rights march and Betty brought, you know, and they all had these outfits, which you see in the film were so cute. And um, they, uh, she brought her outfit and she had every intention of marching in this event. And I believe that was when I think Jerry came to her and asked her not to. And um, she ultimately did though, once they left office, she actually got to, to march. Yeah. More with the beautiful and charming Michelle Pfeiffer right after this. This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So, what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hey, everyone. It's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was interesting, Michelle, for me to see there was real backlash against not only what Betty was doing, but what she was standing for when Ronald Reagan arrived on the scene. Yeah, mm -hmm. there was backlash within the Republican Party for sure. Well, there was backlash from the get-go with her. So, um, but I think that toward the end, if I'm, if I'm gonna get this right, I think that toward the end, his polls started really tipping. Her polls were high, much higher than his, her um, approval rating. Um, and um, they, though, yeah, Ronald Reagan came in and really appealed to the, the, the really far right. And um, I mean, I don't know. I have a suspicion that, and you know, he ultimately, Jerry ultimately ended up losing the election. But I think a lot of that also had to do with the pardoning of Nixon. I think, um, and, and I, I think Betty is right that it did um, leave people with the impression that perhaps he was complicit and I, and he, he wasn't, but what was going on at the time is people were really looking for somebody to trust. They, they, they were, they were so mistrustful after Watergate. And um, I think it was sort of, you know, a time when they had really felt betrayed by the government and, um, and they, and I think, that's what they liked about Betty and that's what made her so popular is because when somebody is that outspoken and they just talk, they, and they go up against the tide and they really are just speaking for the people. 
um, and really trying to make change to help the public, and it's not political, they respond to that. And I think maybe Jerry fell into that trap um, rather than just really um, being just speaking his truth, because the truth is he supported the ERA when he was in Congress. And, um, but I think, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe he lost his way. Well, there was a lot of pressure to move toward the right when Ronald Reagan arrived on the scene. So there was this friction between standing up for things that would be beneficial to women and the more traditional right-wing arm of the Republican Party, which Reagan represented. So ultimately, Jerry Ford did get the nomination, but it was clear Ronald Reagan had arrived. Right, right, right. Oh, right, I'm speaking about ultimately. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. So Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney um, certainly don't age well in the debate. <laughs> their depiction. Probably there are many people who don't think they aged well anyway, but they didn't quite know what to do with Betty, did they? No, no. And she says, she says to Jerry, she says, look, okay, I'll go to the White House, but I'm going to go as myself. And, uh, you know, and I think she says if they don't like it, they can kick me out. And, you know, and that's really, really how she was. And I, I think it's kind of her I don't know. I sort of think of Midwestern people like that. They have this sort of this backbone and this sense of integrity and this sense of right and wrong. And that's sort of what guides them. Um, And um, and it's a way of being brought up that is almost in your DNA. And I believe that's who Betty thought Jerry was. And I think at his core, he was. But yeah, no, they didn't, uh, they, they just didn't know what to do with her at all. She just would not do what she was told. They are portrayed in such a opportunistic, smarmy kind of, yeah. you know, I guess they're political operatives and that's what they are or were operators. Handlers, handlers, yeah. They couldn't take their eye off the prize and the prize was staying in power. Was it interesting for you to see what life was like for each of these women and how they were all able to, I think, redefine the role of first lady within the context of the times they were living in? I think the common, the the sort of theme that runs through this piece um, and sort of a, a strong connecting tissue is, is each of these women finding their voice um, within the confines and the restrictions um, and the limitations, the expectations of being the first lady and finding that voice, nurturing that voice, and then using their platform as, you know, to, to really influence other women and to help other women um, take power of their lives. It's, it's, it's remarkable, you know, kind of watching that journey. I mean, I can only imagine stepping into that role. And especially when, 
with for for Betty. I mean, at least with Michelle and Eleanor, they, you know, they they sort of had some time to process it. And 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 Betty was just the most I feel unprepared and unconvinced that she really wanted to be there. Um, and and so her her journey um, is really quite remarkable. It was incredibly brave for Betty Ford to come forward and say, I have a problem with alcohol and with drugs because she was taking painkillers for a shoulder injury, right? And how difficult was it for Betty Ford to come forward and say, I have a problem? Or was she just in a situation where she had no choice? Both. Uh, There was uh, an intervention done with the family. Um, and, you know, she had, once they left office, you know, she really spiraled down and I mean, the amount of medication that she was taking and the doctors were just given the directive, just give her whatever she needs. And she was up to 20 pills a day. I think she said in one, in an interview that I, I saw, um, and we never really knew exactly what she was taking um but i assume it was value you know they were just giving value amount like what is this called mother's little helper at that time they were just doling out and and um and literally um you know that's when i remember that's when doctors were saying oh you know though medication and alcohol is two different things there's no problem with mixing them and um i think the hardest thing though for her and she you know she did go into rehab um went in for um, drug addiction, did not want to admit that she was an alcoholic, that she felt, because I think in her mind, she could not take responsibility for the drug addiction because really it was her physicians who got her addicted to these medications and, and because she was in pain and it was something unforeseen. And, but I think with the alcohol, that was something that she knew she had um, to, um, you know, take responsibility for. She hid it for years. I mean, she was amazing because throughout the series, she is drinking a lot. And yet she was extremely high functioning, wasn't she? Extremely high functioning alcoholic. And there are a lot of those. And then with the pills at at a certain point, then, you're taking 20 pills just to be normal. So it's not about, it's, it's, of course there's pain, but, um, you know, it's, it's not about feeling high, you know, it's when you're that addicted, then you need, you just need to keep upping the dose in order to, to, to stay normal. And then, you know, and then cocktails were really popular then, you know, that five o'clock cocktail and, uh, you know, a couple of bourbons and then wine with dinner and, you know, and then, you know, when you, so adding the alcohol on top, on, on top of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know a lot of high functioning alcoholics and so she would get, it would become more obvious when she would add the alcohol on top of the pills. Um, but she, look, you can't accomplish everything that she did in the white house, um, and not be high functioning and, and, and just be, you know, sloppy drunk all the time. Um, she really, really managed it well. 
but it was a long time. I mean, it was 20 years that she was managing that. Have you heard from any of Betty Ford's kids? Um, I remember I've met Susan many times and her sons, and I'm curious if they have gotten in touch with you about your portrayal of their mom. No, and it's sort of a fantasy of mine, but I know it's a fantasy. If it were my mother and this were her story, you know, I, 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 first of all, I don't think I'd watch it. And I would not be happy that somebody was rehashing this again. And um, because I think it's painful for a family to have to relive that. And, and there are things in this kind of dramatization that you have to make up because nobody was there. Nobody was in the room hearing these conversations. So, and, and, you know, there, there are scenes you need to put in for transitioning because you're, and so they're going to look at it and they're going to want everything to be absolutely accurate. And that's not going to happen. So I don't think that, although they did already went through it once, they already went through it with the, and I never saw it because Jenna Rollins is like, you know, it's one of my idols. And um, I was, I know they made a television movie of awakenings many years ago. And um, I, I just was terrified to see it. Um, so they did, they were very involved, I think in that project. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they do have, um, a better understanding than I'm giving them credit for, but I think you portrayed her in such a loving, respectful way that they would be pleased, but I'm not them. So I can't speak for them. I really, I really tried. And I, I both, Suzanne and I really, it was our first and foremost, we wanted to honor her and, um, and cause we loved her and we, um, um, and that, that regulating and pacing all of the, I mean, it was so every, every drink, every time we took a pill, it was so calculated and sort of the build of it and when she would and, and, um, at what level and was it pills? Was it, drinking on top of the pills was it just what time of day it was because she's different in the morning. So it was very, and we just didn't want it ever to be about all that. Cause it was so, it would have been so, you know, tantalizing and very dramatic and very entertaining. I'm sure to have her whole story be about her addiction. And that isn't, we just didn't want that to overshadow all of her other accomplishments. Are you going to miss Betty? I do miss Betty. I, you know, and when I talk about her, it's, I get, I get emotional. I have to, um, control it. I, I, I still get emotional when I talk about her. I spent a year. Yeah. You know, I read my books, you know, my pile of books with my little post-its and, um, I got very nostalgic. I'm like, what do we do with these now? I can't get rid of them, but... <laughs> We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending some even offering 10 times points on your spending. 
So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hey, everyone. It's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us how you got involved in a fragrance company. I, when my kids were born, uh, like a lot of new mothers, I became um, acutely aware of, you know, there's, you know, our surroundings and started looking at the world through their eyes and um, everything was danger, danger. And I started paying attention to um, the products we were using and the food we were eating and reading labels. And um, anyway, kind of long story, super short, super, super long story short. Um, I, I, through my research became aware of, I, I stumbled up across one day, the environmental working groups, um, skin deep database, by the way, do you know about the skin deep database? No. Oh my God. You will go down the rabbit hole. It's such an incredible, um, resource. So, so this was, I want to say 10 years ago ish. Um, and I'd been on my own trying to, but it was the first time I really found science based information to help me choose better products, look up the products I was using. And the thing that kept coming up on the website was fragrance would be pinged really high for hazard level over and over again. And so I took that to mean, Oh, well, gosh, fragrance is really toxic. So I should stop wearing it or using it. And so, um, I stopped wearing perfume and I tried. Um, and also I was, I was like a new mom and like most new parents and I was working and, and I was so stressed out by what, you know, just not wanting to expose any of us to anything bad. And the more research I did, it was like, everything was bad. So, um, I, um, at some point thought, and I tried all of the sort of non-toxic organic plant-based fragrances that, and I just couldn't find anything that really had that beautiful sort of fine fragrance scent to it that, and that sort of premium scent. And, um, and I missed it. So I said to myself one day, you know, um, this is hogwash. (laughs) Um, you know, we have the science and, and a person shouldn't have to be struggling on a daily basis with the products that perform and, and products that are safe. And there had been progress in the personal care, food, organic, but nothing in fragrance. And I thought, I wonder if it's possible. I'm going to see if it's possible. And so that was my, the beginning of my journey. And long story short, it was a lot of, it was, it was 10 years of 
dead ends. And I approached cosmetic companies. They looked at me like I had three heads. They didn't know. I was told parabens are good for you. We don't know what you're talking about. Um, nobody wants, <laughs> this was the funny one. Nobody wants, uh, you know, a celebrity fragrance anymore. Well, now look at today, everything is celebrity. But um, so um, eventually I ended up at IFF, the, um, and they are one of the biggest fragrance houses in the world. And they actually had formulated a cradle to cradle fragrance with them, a collaboration. So I really knew that they knew what I was talking about because I had started down the road with another big fragrance house and only to be told a year into the formulations that they wouldn't be a hundred percent transparent with the ingredients. And that was like a real deal breaker for me. So I ended up, uh, launching three years ago and named it Henry Rose after my children, seeing that um, they were the impetus of the whole thing. And I wanted something that didn't sound like a startup, that didn't sound like, that, that did, didn't feel trendy, that, that wasn't in the zeitgeist. I wanted something that was going to stand the test of time. And we have 10, we launched with five and we have beautiful packaging. <laughs> And in fact, Michelle, sustainability is also a key ingredient to your product because not only is the fragrance, um, you know, organic or without harmful chemicals of any kind, but the packaging and the bottles themselves mm -hmm. are very important. Can you show me a bottle and explain that? So, um, well, I just found out yesterday um, that this is new packaging. We had launched with a different packaging. And I just found out that by switching to this packaging, we saved our use of paper by 75%. So that's pretty awesome. I didn't know that. So these are made, this is like a renewable, um, uh, compostable, it's, um, it's paper. It's paper. Yeah. Um, and, um, and our caps are made, uh, our caps are made from soy resin, which is compostable. These bottles, nobody, we were the first to use these. They're 90, they're made from 90% recycled glass. Our ingredients are 90 to 100% use green chemistry. Um, and we are a mixture of synthetics and naturals. And there are a lot of naturals that we can't use because of the allergens in them and they, people really suffer. So there are a lot of people, not everyone, um, disclaimer, but there are a lot of people who, um, who are sensitive, who, you know, can't walk into a room. Are they going to end up in the hospital? No, but they can't walk into a room with a candle burning without going, you know, having a migraine and migraine and maybe, you know, ruining the next two days of their lives. So, um, so we're EWG verified and cradle to cradle certified for safety and for sustainability. We took on a lot and we set a really high bar on every level and it's been an incredible journey. Um, and we're, uh, we're doing well. Was it fun to come up with the fragrances and to be, what is it? There's somebody who, like the nose, yeah. right? Yes, the nose. Uh, yes, the perfumer or the nose. And um, and what actually, when I kept hit, hitting dead end after dead end, trying to find someone to help me get this off the ground, help me get these formulations, 
it was actually EWG who recommended I go directly to the fragrance houses. And I thought, really, why would they do that with me? Um, I'm asking them to expose their formulations, which is something they've always considered trade secret and they don't want to do. See, the, th uh, the thing that, that I ended up learning about the word fragrance and why EWG would ping it so high, it's not that all fragrance ingredients are toxic. It's that the word fragrance on a package can be comprised of any number of, th of, of thousands of ingredients and some of them toxic. And, and people don't realize that. And because of the lack of transparency, you know, you know, and to err on the side of caution, EWG, when it's just as fragrance and you're not revealing all of your ingredients, they just give it a really high ping. Um, so, so let's see, I digressed. It was something about going. Yeah, you were just talking about the nose and kind of coming up with all the different oh, scents. Yeah. So um, I, you know, after one false painful start with another fragrance house, I ended up at IFF and um, I cried, uh, sort of a soppy cow, but um, I'd worked so long and hard. And when I walked in, they had a little bottle sitting on the table and it was something they had already formulated with cradle to cradle. And it smelled amazing. And I knew, I thought, okay, they get it. They get it. They're not going to lie to me. They're not going to try to, you know, they're going to do this with me. And they know how hard this is. And then I had to learn how to smell. And then I had to learn, they taught me, the perfumers taught me because I was working one-on-one -on -one with them. And they had to teach me a different language and how to speak to them. And they said, they would say, don't, don't tell me what you think it smells like because that would send them off in a really wrong direction because it would be wrong. <laughs> Whatever I'm saying, it smells like it's wrong. They would say, where does it, how does it make you feel? What does it make you think of? What does it remind you of? And, and that was sort of how the, our, our scent memories were born. And I started to realize with unbeknownst to me that the very first fragrance that I was trying to formulate was actually, I was trying to mimic my father's cologne. And I, I had always loved men's colognes more than women's perfume. And that was also why I felt the need to make this genderless, one of the needs to make this a genderless line. Um, because, you know, people love what they love. It's not about gender. And, um, and so anyway, you know, I, I realized through that process of learning how to speak to them, it took me back to my father's cologne. And um, so a lot of our scents, you know, Jake's house is another one of our top selling scents. And, you know, that is, was formulated from my memories of my grandfather's house and it's called Jake's house. Um, fog reminds me of summers in San Francisco. Um, that sort of woody, wet, fresh kind of scent. Um, and um, so it's been, um, it's been really exciting and um, my world has opened up. And then I had to learn how to kind of use, I sort of used my acting to, to, um, to approach a scent, not what I would like, but to appreciate it, 
not, not something I would necessarily wear, but to appreciate another personality who like a character who would like that. And so that took some time and I've, I've gotten actually really good at that. And that's been, and that's been really, really important because we had to build out the line. You're also partnering with breast cancer prevention partners. Mm -hmm. Tell me why that was important. Well, because, you know, there are, there are studies that because, because of the hormone disruption in a lot of fragrances and, 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 you know, fragrance, the thing about fragrances is in everything. It's in all of your personal care. It's in all of your, your household cleaners. It's in, they, they put it in paper, you know, they put it in crazy things to mask if something doesn't quite smell all that, they'll put some fragrance in and it, it's really not, you're not even really aware of it, but you know, there are, um, because of the hormone disruption that happens with some of these chemicals, it causes breast cancer. And, um, it felt like a really, um, important, um, partnership to make. And one of the things I read, which I, like to get into more. And I'd really like to, my, one of my dreams is to really speak to young women because there are indications and evidence that during puberty is the riskiest time for women to be exposed to these hormone disruptors. And it's setting the stage for breast cancer later in life. And if you think about it, it makes sense because your hormones during that time are going crazy and they're growing and they're, you know, they're, in increasing and 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 if you get in there and you disrupt them it makes sense that it would set the stage later on in life and i think you know and it's also the time of life where you know young women or young girls are they just are putting everything on you know makeup and perfume and the, every single product you can imagine they're trying and they're experimenting with and, and how fun that is um so I think there's a lot of education to be done. And now, you know, the thing is, there's no, you don't have to choose now anymore between quality and safety. You don't have to. There are a lot of products out there now. There, there have been, there's, the makeup has made huge progress and huge gains, personal care. Um, and, and the one thing that has really been lagging behind has been fragrance. And now not only can you douse some, something and feel safe doing it, it, we also now have a safe alternative that goes inside of other products. This, it sounds like this has been a really interesting and educational journey for you that becoming an entrepreneur has allowed, allowed you not to learn only about business, but I mean, about science and chemistry and consumer habits. So it sounds as if this has been a fascinating experience for you. Fascinating. And <laughs> you're right. I, I stepped into this, not knowing anything about chemistry, nothing about perfumery, nothing about business. And I have had to learn it all in real time. So it's been kind of mind blowing but exciting. It's not, it's not dull. <laughs> what do you enjoy more acting or starting a business? They're different, you know, they're different and I get different things out of it. And, and I actually thought, you know, I started this, well, you don't know this, but I started this 
I, I was living in Northern California and my kids were young and I wasn't really acting a lot. And I didn't really think I probably would be much anymore, if at all. And I thought, but I'm not done contributing to the world. And I'm, that's important to me that I know creation, getting up in every morning and creating whatever that is, is really important to me. And I thought, what do I remember? It was like new year's day one day. And I thought, what do I, what do I want to do? Like, what would I get excited? And, and it was this. And, um, then, then once I finally got this off the ground, 10 years later, I started acting again, like crazy. And so I didn't really plan it this way, it, um, but I'm so that's a long-winded way of saying I like them. I, I like them both, and I don't know that I could pick. An embarrassment of riches, right? That's yeah. well. I'm so happy for you in all areas of your life. I love your husband. I know you've said you never want to work together. You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe one day we would, but we've gotten by this far without doing it. And I, I think there's something about, you know, being able to come home and, and complain about your day and know that they're going to be on your side because they don't know the other side. Yeah. Um, I think that's important in a, in, in a marriage. <laughs> I think so too. Well, thanks for spending some time with me talking about Betty Ford and the first lady. I really think you did a phenomenal job, Michelle portraying her. I love looking at all the 70s clothes because those were the outfits of my youth. (laughs) Susan Ford's uh, knee socks and Betty's cute little outfits and even her quilted, you know, uh, sleep jackets. It was just so fun to see. And I'm excited that we're selling Henry Rose on our website, that you're part of our shop. And honestly, I can't wait to try it myself. What fragrance would you recommend for me? Well, which kind of category are you like a sort of a woody spicy? Are you a floral? Are you? I'm a little, I'm kind of a citrus girl. Fruity, fruity, citrusy. Okay. Then I think you would like um, Smith uh, and and maybe Jake's house. Okay. I would pick those two for you. I'll give it send you some stuff. Okay. Okay. Next question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey everyone, it's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts, It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.